Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome, everyone. It is time for another update of the Story Fund. I'll show you the damage, what's going on with it. There's a lot of red across the board, as we've seen with the markets. We're also going to be diving into some of the scarier news going on right now. I've tried to avoid talking about this, mostly because... I'm not a political commentator, and I'm not going to be in this video, but I do want to just highlight some of the things going on to give context to why the market is reacting the way that it is. I think it's somewhat important. But as we've seen today, we have more red days in the market, Uh, red days across the board, especially for the QQQ, the high growth companies. This has largely been a transition from growth to value, from speculative to non-speculative, from cash losing businesses to cash making businesses, free cash flow companies. That's been the transition going on. We can just see today across the board, most things are in the red. We have healthcare holding up okay and energy holding up okay. So the energy trade's doing well as apparently prices are going to be going up. We can look at the specific indexes here. We have the S&P 500 year to date down 10.72%, well into a correction at this point. So that doesn't look too good. That's the S&P 500 the mixture of value and growth in this one index, the top 500 companies. Then we have the QQQ. This tilts more towards growth-oriented companies, technology companies. And this one's down a lot more, significantly more, down 16.82% compared to the S&P 500's 10.72%. So basically right now, no matter what you're investing in, unless you really did some like specific trades into a couple commodity industries, you're probably trading down. Your portfolio is probably going down across the board, but it's going down a lot more if you're in these growth-oriented companies. And that's the situation going on right now with my portfolio. I have a portfolio here full of growth-oriented companies, and it's currently down $10,500, which is 16.24% money-weighted. If we calculate this based on a time-weighted basis with the S&P 500 compared against the Story Fund, this is what it looks like. You can see back in kind of November, it held up for a little bit. And then early this year, the end of last year, the performance started to diverge. That's when I got hit with the cloud companies. And I did some things to try to uh, try to minimize losses during this time period. And I'll go through that. But you can see that my portfolio started to sell off. The S&P 500 held up better, but now even the S&P 500 and a lot of the bigger companies started to sell off. We know that I got hit with companies like Alibaba, Netflix was an aggressive sell-off. Nothing I've ever seen before with a company like that. And a lot of people thought, man, Netflix was terrible. You know, look at you investing in Netflix at a high valuation. And then Facebook got chopped in half. And then PayPal went down, you know, 70%. Companies that were established companies that were at reasonable valuations are getting chopped apart, you know, their valuation 20%, 30% in a day. And we saw that happen over the past couple of months. My portfolio has somewhat paralleled the S&P 500 on the way down. It's kind of actually over the past week just fallen to the same extent. The S&P 500 has fallen over the past couple of weeks from 20% to 10%. My portfolio has fallen from 3 or 4% in the green to 7% in the red. So both of them have fallen around 10% over the past week 
kind of in parallel, but I'm still trailing it. So the hope is over the next five years, I can close in this gap. I'm trailing SPY by around 12% right now, and I need to close in that gap eventually. So when I look over the past six months of my portfolio, the performance and the actions I took, and I try to do some introspection and some analysis on it, I come to the conclusion that there's some things I did right, that I did good, that were smart things to do, and other things that I could do better, mistakes that I've made. I want to go over those. The things that I think I did right was companies that I invested in based on their fundamentals and growth prospects that had enormous price increases, enormous momentum carry their price up even further than their, than their fundamentals would imply. Atlassian is the best example. In March of 2021, it went from $200 a share to November being $450 a share. It went up 100% in the course of six months. That doesn't happen that often. And it wasn't because of anything dramatically different with the company. There's no huge fundamental shift making this company worth twice as much. So the good thing I did in this situation, and this is where I think I got it right. The purpose of investing is making investments. Then when they go up in value to where they're overvalued, where people are giving you very attractive offers for the company, you got to take some of those offers. And I did. I took some of the gains with Atlassian. In fact, the majority of them. And that helped preserve the gains. So then when momentum eventually shifted and it moved the other direction, I didn't go down with those losses, right? I preserved the gains that I had. That is decent investing. Buying and holding does not mean you buy a company and you hold it no matter what, even if it goes up 300% way above its fundamentals. Warren Buffett's a buy and hold investor, but if he gets such a good offer for a company, if they're willing to give him so much money for it that it's way above its, its overvalued, he'll take those offers. He'll say, okay, I'll take that money and I'll reinvest it somewhere else. And I think that's what I did good. That's where I got it right. A lot of the more speculative companies that I could see were moving up just far past their fundamentals. There's so much momentum carrying them up. I locked in gains on a lot of those companies. And that's the reason that I'm not more in the red. I'd be far more in the red. I'd be down 20,000, 30,000 if I didn't lock in gains. Another way of viewing this is my current holdings, I'm down $20,000 on. But the reason that my overall portfolio is down 10,000 is because the previous holdings that I had were in excess of $10,000 in gains that I locked in. So selling these companies at a high made it so that I didn't have $20,000 of losses. I'm only down 10,000. So that's something where I think I got it right. I think I did the right thing six months ago by taking a lot of gains in these more speculative positions as I could clearly see the valuation diverge so much from the fair value that it was not even close. Companies like Atlassian were way overvalued with 50 plus price to sales ratios. Even companies like Peloton, which I was very excited about the fundamentals of the company, the future outlook, you know, this dynamic change to exercise and that type of thing. But it got to the point where it was a $50 billion company. And I just kept thinking, $50 billion for this company, that's so much money. And I realized once demand had any issues, once the story would change at all, I wanted to take gains because I thought that investors aren't going to be offering more money for this in the future. And I'm very glad I did. That wasn't a mistake. I think that Peloton will take years, if ever, to get back to its previous highs. There's a good chance it will never return. So that part, I think I did correct. And I think I can even learn from that and do that more in the future. If you have a company that you invested in and the fair value goes like this and the price goes like this and the price becomes so overvalued, Take some gains. 
It's okay to, even if it's a good company, you'll have other opportunities. There will be time where people aren't so bullish on that particular company. And so if the fair value goes up slightly, but the price goes up dramatically, you can take advantage of those mismatches. And that's something that I did do. Now, when I try to determine where I have the most room for improvement and where I can learn from, there's a couple of different things that have really hurt my performance of my portfolio. It's three different holdings that have really affected it. Spotify is one of them. Uh, this one, in my opinion, the company fundamentals have been okay. The problem was valuation. So I bought it after it had kind of the hype of the podcast and the Joe Rogan joining on board. And now that hype has gone away and it's shifted in the opposite direction of Joe Rogan being a problem and controversy and artists leaving. That's caused the stock to trade down 50% from my buy price. So that's been painful for this holding. I could be buying it at much cheaper prices today. So at this one, I should have been a little bit more patient and not bought it when there is such hype with the company. I, I was buying in with a lot of hype of other investors. And of course, when that leaves, you get hurt. So Spotify, in terms of fundamentals, I remain very bullish on. Uh, in my opinion, the things with Joe Rogan will pass over time. There's new concerns that will come up. Spotify is growing their user base by 20%. Their active users by 20%. Their premium users by 20%. Their revenue by 20%. They're growing overall. The outlook looks good. But the difference still stands. I could be buying this company at much cheaper prices today than my initial buys, but I was a little bit more patient and looked for a little bit more favorable entry points to it. So part of the dip finder and that tool that I've been building allows me to see when sentiment is actually negative on the company, buying in when it's at a dip, not when it's on a price surge. And I'm going to be more aware of that in the future. The next one is Alibaba. I bought this company I think two or three different times. I did an initial buy, knowing that there's a good chance it might drop in the short term. Then it dropped a lot. I did another buy. Then it dropped a lot more, and I did another small buy. So I've dollar cost average into this one. The original thesis of Alibaba was to buy when others are fearful, to be greedy when others are fearful, with great companies like Alibaba, that the fundamentals are good, but the sentiment surrounding it are poor. So my thesis on this was I'm buying a company that has terrible sentiment, but the company is foundationally and fundamentally strong. That represents Alibaba. What I didn't give enough credence to, what I didn't evaluate enough, and where I think I made the mistake with this is how persistent the issues with China would be. They are not going away quickly. I thought they would go away much faster than they are. The Chinese government is still in the way of this holding going up, and I think it might persist for a very long time. So I got that wrong with my analysis. Alibaba, although it's a great company and fundamentally sound, has extra risk factors instead of companies within the U.S. like Amazon that really don't have this risk factor of the Chinese government. And so it's just another hurdle for investors, another hurdle to go past. And I think that makes it a more difficult investment. Another thing that I do think affected this investment was I was more reliant on external forces with this investment. I'm more reliant on other people's research. I don't use Alibaba. I don't have any familiarity with the product or services. Um, I don't really have hands-on research for the company. And I was reliant also on Charlie Munger and his thoughts on China and, and whatnot. So I was relying on third-party analysis and perspective on the company. And to me, I don't really understand this company as much as I should. So I violated that rule as well as not, not investing in something that I have direct hands-on uh, understanding of like Peter Lynch so often talks about. So in the future, I'm going to be investing more in companies where I have a hands-on understanding of. Companies like Amazon that I really, myself, I use them all the time. The other one is IGV. I'm in the red on this one. 
I don't really consider this as much of a mistake because it's just an ETF. It's market weighted. It'll rebalance over time. Um, and I never try to time ETFs, really. I don't spend a lot of time trying to time entry points into ETFs. So this one, it's down $5,000, right? It could be going better. It's a software ETF. But I plan on holding this throughout the duration of this portfolio. And I think as momentum shifts away from it right now, it'll eventually shift back. And this rebalances, market cap weighted. I think it'll do fine in the future. The big company that I really made a mistake on was Netflix, apparent by the $8,500 loss so far. Now, Netflix is one that I was pretty blindsided by. They shared slightly lower guidance for a growth company, and that caused the stock to sell off 20% in one day. Now, Netflix is still a highly debated, highly argued company. There's investors that think that it's essentially worthless. It'll never be cash flow, free cash flow generative. It'll never give shareholders returns. And that's a valid perspective. They have decent arguments for that. There's other investors that are great investors like Bill Ackman being one of them that sees value here. Out of all the many companies that sold off recently, Bill Ackman bought a billion dollars of Netflix over the other many available options. So Netflix is a stock that has a ton of disagreement. Now, in my opinion, the thing that I did wrong on this one was obviously uh, I was buying into a company that it's questionable about how much free cash flow it's going to generate during a time when liquidity is being moved out of the market and investors are becoming more concerned about these very type of companies. So the time that I bought this was very poor choice and timing, and that hurt my performance like crazy. I wish I could go back and do things differently. We can't do that. When I look at this now, and I look at the situation now with Netflix, I feel like I'm in the same situation as a lot of Facebook investors that had that as a major holding. You're down on the stock, and you're trying to question whether or not the story and the fundamentals have really shifted. When I look at Netflix and I assess the bear case and bull case, the bear case is that Netflix has never been a free cash flow generative company. This is their free cash flow quarter over quarter. You can see that it's not much. And over the past three quarters, they're losing more cash, right? So they're never going to be a business that generates a lot of returns for their shareholders. The bear case is also that the entertainment and attention-grabbing economy is overly saturated. You have Amazon Prime, you have Netflix and Disney and Comcast and YouTube and TikTok and Facebook and all these things trying to grab your attention. Netflix is just one of them and it's overly saturated. There's only so many people, only so many hours in the day. This company can't really, it doesn't have a lot of room to grow and it's just way oversaturated with competition. I think that's actually the best bear case. That's probably the strongest bear case for Netflix. The bull case is that the company's going to be free cash flow generative, that they'll continue to grow their revenue over time, they'll continue to gain subscribers, they'll continue to be able to do price increases. The global TAM remains very large. If they get the 350 million subscribers, their revenue will grow consistently and to a large extent. Their EBITDA looks very good. This is their EBITDA, and the bull case is that the free cash flow with the scalability of their content and the growth of their revenue that the free cash flow will start to resemble their EBITDA over time. That's the bull case of it. Now, when I do analysis of where I sit now with Netflix, I try to see if the story has really changed. The price has changed a lot, but has the story changed? I keep coming back to believing that right now, the story has not changed significantly enough for me to exit this position and realize the losses. I don't think all is lost. I agree with a lot of the arguments that Bill Ackman recently made. The company still has a, a large TAM, there's still a lot of people that want high quality entertainment across the globe. Netflix has a good international strategy. 
They will have periods of slow growth, but they've had that before. They'll also have periods of fast growth, right? If things go good or they have a breakout series. So in my opinion, the bull case hasn't changed that much. If Netflix continues to grow and really does get to 350, 400 million worldwide subscribers, the company will generate free cash flow. And the investors looking for that free cash flow will probably jump back on board. So as of right now, I think it was a mistake to put so much money in this company, right? As this transition was happening, the more free cash flow generative businesses. But in terms of where I stand right now, I don't plan on exiting this position. I have to get more of a real confirmation that the dynamics have changed. There's things I didn't see in the company. There's too much competition and they're really never going to grow free cash flow. If that happens and I get confirmation that the company's fundamentals really have deteriorated and the company really will never grow to be free cash flow generative, in that case, I'll realize the losses and look for other investments. So that's a quick update on my portfolio. Looking back over the past three to six months, in summary, the thing that I think I did right was when the price moved up way past the fundamentals of many of my companies, taking gains. That's important to do. If the price surges past the fundamentals and the valuation that supports the price, that's a time to take gains. When everyone else is being greedy, that's when you can take gains and protect your gains for that company. And conversely, over time, that price will start to move back to the fundamentals. Either the fundamentals will surge up and match the price, or the price is going to come back down. And for all the companies that I took gains on, the price went back down to more closely match the fundamentals. So that's just another way of saying, be fearful when others are greedy. When sentiment is so positive on a company and the price is just surging and you're looking at the price to sales ratio and the PE ratio and you're going, wow, this is really something else. These companies are going up like crazy. That's a time to be a seller and take gains. You can get 20, 30% gains in companies that are going up because of positive sentiment. The time to be greedy and start buying is when the price is way below the fundamentals, when it's selling off like crazy, when nobody wants to touch these companies. I look at days like today. This is the dip finder. This comes with the Patreon membership. But look at my portfolio today, for instance. We added in a thing that shows you the current percent change on every holding updated every five minutes. And this is the daily percent change. So IGV is down 2%. Netflix is down 1.7%. Google's down 0.8%. Amazon's down 2.8%. Alibaba's down 2.4%. Microsoft is down 2%. And look overall, the momentum with these companies. Twilio is down 48% from its 200-day moving average. Facebook is down 39%. Spotify is down 36%. Bob is down 32%. These are all in substantial dips. The only company out of my entire portfolio in the story fund that's not in a massive dip is Apple. Microsoft is holding up okay. It's only down 3%, but Apple's the only one that's not in a dip. This shows you how much momentum swings from one direction to the other. Six months ago, these would have all been above the zero uh, x-axis. They would have all been surging. That's the time to take gains. When positive momentum is heavily baked into the price of the stock, when sentiment is so incredibly positive that the price is just soaring, that's when you should be more fearful and take gains with these companies. Now's the time to actually be buying them. This is the time to be greedy. People are fearful right now. There's lots of bad news going on. All these companies are in massive dips. They're selling off more and more every day. And in my opinion, I think every one of these companies is oversold. They're all cloud companies that have been punished for the past year. Now, that doesn't mean that the price can't continue to move down. There's a high likelihood of it. Momentum moves one direction for a long period of time. But what we're seeing right now is instead of the price way up here, way above the fundamentals, 
Now the price for many of these companies is way below the fundamentals, way below their fair value. So now is the time to be greedy. Six months ago was a time to be fearful. Now, moving on from that, I want to also share some thoughts on current events with the Ukraine crisis, what's going on with the world, how this ties in with China and Russia, and how I view this in terms of investing, if I make any changes to it. So this is a good summary of the situation. I want to read through this, which summarizes what's going on, I think in a very concise way. Russia's audacious military mobilization in and around Ukraine is the first major skirmish of the new order in international politics, with three major powers jostling for position in ways that threaten America primacy. The challenges are different than those the U.S. and its network of alliances faced in the Cold War. Russia and China have built up a thriving partnership based in part on a shared interest in diminishing the U.S. power. Now, they also go on to highlight how things have changed dynamically between now and the 1950s. Russia is a critical gas supplier to Europe. So they're actually supplying fuel to all of Europe. That's a pretty powerful position to be in. China isn't impoverished, war-ravaged partner, but rather the world's manufacturing powerhouse with an expanded military. In deploying a huge force against Ukraine, President Vladimir Putin is demanding that the West rewrite the post-Cold War security agreement for Europe and demonstrating that Russia has a military capability to impose its will despite Western objections and economic sanctions. So he's basically saying that we're going to be doing this whether you like it or not. To do this, Mr. Putin shifted military units from Russia border to China, showing confidence in the relationship with Beijing. The two powers, in effect, are coordinating to reshape the global order to their advantage, though their ties stop short of a formal alliance. So I think it's clear that Russia and China do have shared interests with each other. They both want to be more powerful and they can leverage their relationship to accomplish that. But it also says it stops short of the formal alliance. I don't think they have 100% trust with each other. They're probably still a little bit skeptical. This emerging order leaves the U.S. contending with two adversaries at once in geographically disparate parts of the world where America has close partners and deep economic and political interests. The Biden administration now faces big decisions on whether to re-gear its priorities, step up military spending, demand allies contribute more, station additional forces abroad, and develop more diverse energy sources to reduce Europe's dependence on Moscow. There's a lot of different options that they're trying to take. So that's a quick summary of what's going on right now. It doesn't sound good. It sounds like a lot of bad news. It's a lot of scary news, frankly. And I don't want to diminish it in any way. This is really important stuff. Uh, it changes the dynamics and it changes our future. It changes the positioning of all, all the superpowers and world powers. So I think this is incredibly important stuff. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But one thing that is, I think, always the case with investing is there is always something to be concerned about all the time. That never changes. That is something that is going to be the case forever. We look at this advice again from Peter Lynch, and I reference him all the time. He has this advice that I think is classic, and it just lives on throughout every single year, every generation, because it's so consistently true. In the stock market, the most important organ is the stomach. It's not the brain. There's always, on the way to work, the amount of bad news you can hear is almost infinite now. So the question is, can you take that? I mean, do you really have faith that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, common stocks are a place to be? Do you have the stomach to invest in companies through all the bad news? Because we know from now on the way to work, we're going to hear an infinite amount of bad news. What's going on right now with Russia, Ukraine, China, all the positioning, the invasion, all of that is incredibly bad news. 
that again, I don't want to diminish. But have you noticed something? Over the past month, have you heard a thing about Omicron, about a pandemic that was literally killing hundreds of thousands of people? The virus spreading has gone down to almost, you know, below where it has been historically. It's almost not even an issue anymore. Nobody even mentions it anymore. The news, seemingly overnight, shifted from Omicron to the next scariest thing, the new scary thing, Russia and an invasion in China. Now the 24-hour cable companies and all the news are reporting on that issue 24-7 because this one's done. It's old news. Even though just a couple months ago, this was the scariest thing going on. And the news was emphatic about this as well. So the only thing that's really consistent here is the fact that there is always something to worry about. There's always something bad in the news. And you don't want to diminish any of these individual things. This month, it's Russia, Ukraine, it's China and world economic powers and positioning and politics. Last month, it was Omicron and a deadly pandemic. You know, the next couple of months is going to be something different. It will transition back to interest rates. That'll be the big scary thing. The news makes money selling this stuff. They make money talking about it 24-7 all the time and getting everyone else to talk about it. That's how they generate money. That's how they run their business. When you're investing in these companies, the time to be buying is when people are fearful. Those are when the opportunities exist. So that's my thoughts for now. I'll see you in the next one.